Good morning, LBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and you're listening to The Story Podcast. Today, I have on a super awesome guest, Mr. Ben Brandt. One could say Ben Brandt was born with a guitar in his hands, and this will not be far from the truth. The son of a professional musician, Ben cannot remember a time when the guitar was not a part of his life. As a baby, he was fascinated by the instrument, and by the time he was three, he was already picking out riffs on his father's guitars. In 1999, at the age of 10, Ben started his own band, the Ben Jamin Brandt Project, and his talents were discovered by a local radio station in New Jersey, WDHA. They promoted his music and booked him at, a fe- at festivals where he shared the stage with the likes of Savoy Brown with Kim Simmons and Billy Hector. Over the years, Ben and his band have had the opportunity to open for a number of well-known acts such as Jimmy Thackeray, Doyle Bramall II, Gary Hoey, Coco Montoya, The Record Company, etc. He has also been called to the stage to sit in with notable guitarists such as Davey Knowles, Gabe Stillman, and Albert Castillo. Ben is also a member of the Central Pennsylvania Blues Society. In 2019, Ben teamed up with singer-songwriter Kevin Koa and formed the Soul Miners Union, a roots and blues-based project that featured original songs with great grooves and catchy lyrics. Their debut album was recorded and produced by legendary guitarist-slash-producer John Smith at his flat, flat, flat 5 studio in Los Angeles. The album was released in September 2020. Blues Rock Review wrote of it, Brant gives a gritty, seasoned approach to the songs he captains. Ben's influences over the years have included a very eclectic mix of blues, prog and rock from Chris Kane, Gary Moore, and Eric Johnson to Andy Timmons, Robin Trower, Steve Vai, and Alex Lifeson. Ben's skills are well known in the Harrisburg, PA region and the surrounding tri-state area where he continues to perform on a regular basis. Ben is not only one to be put in, Ben is not one to be put in a box and always strives to learn new things, pushing himself and the musicians he plays with. At 32 years of age and over 20 years of playing live, Ben has acquired a lot of experience, yet he truly only has begun to show what the world, what he is capable of. You can find Ben and all of his projects on his website, soulminersunion.com, or you can find him on Spotify or Facebook under Facebook or uh, Ben Brandt and the Soul Miners Union. Ben, how are you doing today? Good, Ben. How are you? Thank you for having me here. Yeah, man. I'm really excited. You've got a long list of accolades to you. It's a little long. It was a little wordy. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I started off when I was young, so I've been uh, thankful to have the good fortune of of playing a lot of my life and playing live a lot of my life. Um, so yeah, there's, I've, I've had, um, a good run with playing live on stage and sitting with some people. So yeah, it's been, been pretty fun. Do you think that, 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 uh, your father being a professional musician as well helped you a lot? Definitely. Yeah. He, um, I feel like having someone that kind of expedited the process to find the things I was interested in helped. Mm. So I, I kind of, I was able to sort through the things that I didn't like faster because he was kind of like, well, you are gravitating to this. Here's more of it, you know? So he kind of pushed me down the rabbit hole a little bit. Um, but as far as playing, he was a big influence to me. He'd pack up his truck and I'd pack up my little, like, four, like, you know, power wheels thing. <laughs> I'd, like, strap the amp to it and stuff. Um, so he was definitely a big influence, both playing what I got into musically and then the the inspiration for playing live came directly from him for sure. Um, there was a little bit of influence from like like Hendrix and Steve Ray Vaughan and stuff like that too, but 
my dad being like my biggest role model for sure definitely a big part of it came from him did you ever get to play with him yeah i did i did for um he passed when i was 19 so i got to play with him in that band actually ben jammin he played um rhythm guitar in it and i played lead on it and then later on years later my brother started playing bass and then we formed another band called genetic blends was the name of that <laughs> so i played drums he played guitar my brother played bass that's awesome yeah. that's what, what a great name for a family band right yeah. yeah so you started out really young and you grow and you grow and you grow and you get picked up by this new jersey of all places yeah radio station yeah so I, for a while, um, a lot of people don't know this either. I, I'm initially from New Jersey. So okay. I moved here when I was, I moved to Pennsylvania when I was like 10 or 11. And then I moved to the Harrisburg area when I was 20, I think. Um, so we were living in New Jersey in a suburb called Madison, which is close to Morristown, New Jersey, um, which has a little bit more going on. There's a radio station there, which at the time, I'm not sure if it is now, it was the area's largest rock radio station. Mm. Um, a lot has changed. It's probably like the biggest rap station now. But yeah. <laughs> a, at the time, it was a great rock station, and they had roots, local artists. They'd have nationals, and they would put together festivals and these different That's shows really cool. and stuff. Well, my dad was there doing an interview for something completely unrelated to music, right? He, like, owned another company, and he was on the sister station doing an ad for this company, right? Mm -hmm. And I wandered around the place, like I was telling you today, like I, I'll wander around, I'll get lost <laughs> half my whole life. And then I meet people. So I was wandering around and I saw the, uh, the engineer, like the, the main engineer guy. And he was sitting at his desk and he had a strat in the corner of his room. And I didn't know the guy. I walked into his office and took the guitar off the stand and started playing it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he goes, he's like, so you're good, but who are you and where's your dad and like right. why are you in why my are you office? <laughs> yeah, like who what's happening? So he found my dad who was in the middle of an interview with, with this guy for this other um thing that he was on for. And they started talking and I was put in a radio in a studio because of them. We did a run of shows and we opened up that show with um Savoy Brown and Billy Hector because of that show, but it ended up being just spontaneous because I was wandering around. Yeah, I just couldn't sit still, so I was just wandering around. This that's awesome though, yeah. it's it's really just truly uh, during a headlight moments where you're like yeah. I don't know what's going on that makes something happen. It's funny because I still do that now. Right, the same thing. I still have the same approach. It's like I don't know if it's going to be possible. I should just try it, and then things work out that way. Yeah, yeah no, and that's a great advice to musicians. Anyway, don't be scared. Yeah, you have to take. There's definitely a risk involved in in, in the business, playing a hundred percent. Yeah. And especially wandering around, for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what was it like as, as a 10-year-old to be able to do festivals? Um, when I look back on it now, it's like, whoa, you know, kind of mm -hmm. crazy. But like at the, at the time, I wanted to play with my Game Boy. Like, <laughs> uh, another festival. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. These old people. Yeah. And they're like, why did I think that? But it was, was great like, because right. like at the end, I would get – I would get a, a check for it, right? And I would right. go to Toys R Us and I'd buy like the new Zelda, the new Donkey Kong, and the new Game Boy Color. So it was like, for me, it was like I play music and then I get these Money. little games. It was like awesome to me, you know? But I didn't really realize like what level I was doing it on. And then I was like, it was kind of a big deal to be 10 years old doing that, you know? At what point did you realize that, oh, this um, is a thing I could do? Uh, 
few years later, probably when I was like in my teens, probably. But had I been like very career oriented when I was like ten, right? I of course, that, you know, like, um, yeah, probably when I was a little bit a little older, I was like, wow, I could really do this for a, like serious long term, you know. And what was the steps from there? Uh, did you go to college? Did you just do it, or so I I did the um, high school college thing mostly because um, some things in life changed. Mostly with like the passing of my dad was a big a big mm. thing, and and trying to find uh, self direction after that was was took some time. So like there there was a period of time where I was trying to find what direction I wanted to go in, both um, personally and musically, you know. And I think that um, taking the time to figure that out instead of just jumping into something because I thought it would be the right thing probably was the better move, honestly. And there's there are points in there are points in life when you have to just go, yeah. And there are points in life where you have to think about it, yeah. And I think for my my own well being, I think taking the time to make sure I was okay to do those other things in my life was probably the better decision for myself. So what'd you figure out? Um, so I moved to Harrisburg, <laughs> so there was that, uh, so I moved to Harrisburg, which, um, wasn't a move for music at all. It was not related to music at all, but ended up being really prosperous for music. Um, so I, I moved there for a job opportunity to get out of the Poconos. I was, I was living in the Poconos at the time and I was trying to leave for any opportunity really mm-hmm. at, the, at the time. So an opportunity presented itself in Harrisburg. I moved down there. I met a bunch of people that played. Right off the bat, I started meeting people. And I got involved with the Blues Society and started networking more and more and more. And my playing started catching on. And, um, yeah, I've, now I've really networked a lot here. I've met some of my best friends in this area. Yeah. So, as a musician, what do you think is one of the most core aspects about yourself mm-hmm. that has elevated you up to where you are now? So, just from a playing standpoint, not even career, because probably not much. But there's from a playing standpoint, uh, I'm I'm like very, I'm convinced that I'll never master the instrument. Mm. But my 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 desire to try to master a little percentage of that is like I'm really hungry to learn about the guitar. Still, like I'm I've been doing this for a long time, and like I love playing. I love plugging into an app. I love pleasant, like messing with pedals. I love being inspired by sounds and stuff. So I think finding new ways to stay inspired is really how you like stay um, creating new things all these years, you know, and grow as an instrument, uh, as a musician. Because I mean, if you're inspired and you're learning new things, you're going to be growing, you know. So you move to Harrisburg, you decide, oh, wow, I'm meeting all these musicians. I'm starting to play more. And you decide to start a band. Yeah, so when I moved here, I didn't have a band, and then I started, um, I could tell there was a, people wanted to see me play live, because I was going to a lot of open mics with friends, and I, there was, a, people wanted a gig and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So I put some musicians from the Blue Society together, and we started, um, which was the Ben Brent Trio at the time, um, and I played all over the place, so we would travel all over, we play four, three and four and five days a week, we travel down to Maryland and D.C., and um, play in York, Carlisle, all over the place. And then we started when I've, around 2018, 2019, I'd been playing with um, who's listed in, in the 
later part of the bio, uh, Kevin Koa, who um, some of you may know, he's a, a great singer-songwriter in the area. We were collaborating for a while, doing a duo thing, and uh, it just made sense to call it, a, to name it a formal band, you know? I felt like in collaborating, um, it, it the focus needed to be on the songs and not so much on one specific person. I, I think mm-hmm. that it changes the listener's perspective of things when it's a band and and the focus is on the songs and not so much on like the guitarist and that one one guy being a soloist um so my perspectives have changed a little bit as far as my how i view a career but that's how the soul miners formed it was out of the trio but because i i wanted to i saw it as a full picture i kind of wanted to be a full band i think it's it has more marketability that way and i think that there's mm-hmm. it changes the dynamic a little bit you know and so why the soul miners union um i'm not sure how we settled on that specific name there was a lot of back and forth um just trying to come up with something that felt right you know and i think that it felt authentic to us at the time um because if you're living in Pennsylvania, we thought like coal, like you're mining coal and you're, right. you got to like mine and work hard to find songs that are within you. You know, you got to like mine your emotions and like mine, like the darkest, deepest parts of you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like, and authentically be in touch with that kind of stuff, you know, because yeah. like I'm very adamant about trying to be authentic with like the things that I write about and try to like come from a place that's like really within inside of me, you know, um, so Soul Miners felt like like that kind of thing. I'm, like I'm wearing the shirt. This is the first logo that we did, actually. So it was like the oh, that's canary cool. in the coal mine, the Pennsylvania Keystone, the things crossing each other. So it made a lot of sense, you know, as a full. So that's like kind of how we went with that. You ever heard of uh, Shane Spiel by chance? Definitely, yeah. You know, he, he just made a, a, a cigar. Well, he made a guitar out of a pickaxe. Yeah. Dude, that would be insane to play. Yeah, that would be miners. great with this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I should reach out to him and ask him about that. Yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah. Um, so you start writing your own music, and how do you, how does your songwriting process work between the two of you? Is it just do you collaborate, or does he maybe just bring up a song, and then you maybe bring up a song? So at, at that time when we were collaborating, because um, Soul Miners reformed after the Gotcha. This was 2019, so uh, a little after the pandemic. So during this process, when we were writing Back to Life, which is the album that we put out, um, we were both kind of presenting e- each other with ideas. It was like I'd, I would write something and come to him, and we'd be like, what do you have an idea for a hook or something? Mm-hmm. And vice versa. we both write lyrics, collaborate, or one of us would write lyrics and bring them to each other and kind of do pieces like that. Some things were written entirely individually and then some parts were collaborative things you know so i think that um mixing up your approach to writing music is good and i i i believe like collaborating is like one of the best things ever you know absolutely and it teaches you way more yeah and collaborating with different types of musicians yes absolutely and even even to build on that messing around with different genres Definitely. Absolutely. You can take anything from any kind of genre and apply it to whatever genre that you're a part of. I kind of have, um, I've, I've noticed that, um, you, you probably slightly agree with this. Um, musicians tend to have a bias in 
some of the things they listen to and stuff like that. Absolutely, yeah. I um, I try to find something that I like in everything. So it's like if if there's a show and like, all right, the sound's bad and this guy's out of key. It's like, but that guy sounds good. It's like the tone's on point. He's playing the right stuff. You could put on like a different thing. It's like you could find something in everything that is good, you know? And if you take a little piece of all that and try to adapt it to your own style, you'd be really surprised what you could find, you know? And even when it comes to like, because uh, we're talking a lot about encouraging other musicians. Mm-hmm. Don't, if you find, if yeah, if you're right, if the singing is bad or the drummer's off time, whatever, find the little nugget that's really good and go up to them and say, listen, that was an amazing guitar solo. That was an exactly. amazing bass. You crunched that bass solo. And you'd be surprised the the friends that you make because of those things and the people that are, you you change somebody's whole night by approaching them like that, you know? Yeah. And I mean, at the same time, from a musician, I just think that we should be a little bit more open to things being a little wrong sometimes and yeah, still finding the beauty in them. It's live. Yeah. It's, it's not <laughs> yeah. a studio recording. Yeah. There, it's not going to be the same. Yeah. There's going to be mess ups that happen. Uh, how many takes did it take you to record your album? Right? Yeah, I, many, 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 many times. Close to breakdowns and tears times. Exactly. Yeah. You can't expect yeah. perfection from any musician, not live. And you don't know where they're at in their journey either. Mm-hmm. I mean, a prime, very great example of this. It's awesome that we're doing this. The Monday after I had a terrible gig on Saturday, <laughs> I play in a, we play the Anglewood, which is a, a nice big room to play in. And I I just had gear problem after gear pro like mm. rig failure, and I I use like multiple amps on stage and stuff, so it's like I gear problems, guitar problems, another guitar problem, another rig problem, and it was, but like there were still elements of that that were good. And I think that the way that you deal with these things kind of, you know, you've learned for your future, you know? Yes. How do you deal with something goes wrong or if I would have freaked out 10 years ago, probably, but there's, um, you just, uh, it's, it's just life. It's just life. And and that's another thing too. Now at this point, it's like, it's going to happen. Yeah. You got to know it's going to happen. Even if you mess up on a gig, you can't think about it. Oh, that was funny and move on. Because yeah. if you think about it, it's going to create a snowball effect and it's going to be a really bad long night. Well, anything that you bring attention to is you, like, I mean... <laughs> like yeah, right, no. Good attention or bad attention. I mean, you're bringing attention to it so people will notice it, you know? Yeah, if you... Listen, nobody... Um, sometimes people know your songs, but a lot of the times, these are the first time that anybody's hearing it. And it's a live version that's different from the studio yeah. version. Well, we, we have... um. A good amount of people, and I'm thankful for that, that come to a lot of our shows. So, And they've been very, like the shows that we played in the last year have been really good shows and like awesome sound and stuff. So it's like, it's kind of good for these people to show up and for it to be a total disaster. And for it not to be one disaster, like we made up for all the good shows they saw by just having 15 disasters in like the right. first half of the show. So now they see the good things and yeah. they see the, oh my gosh. So this... now they know. They're yeah. Like, yeah. And it's always good for, for musicians because it, it knocks you off the pedestal a little bit, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you had that album. What's next for you guys? What's now? So so Kevin and I stopped working together in 20... It might have been 20, 
2021 or 2020. Might have been the end of 2020. Um, he ended up moving, and we were we were going in different directions. And I I really wanted to do a full a trio again, another power rock thing. And at the time we were doing we were touring in a duo, and we had like a month's worth of shows together, and we got canceled. We were out in the south and got canceled in the beginning of COVID. So it it really changed our perspectives of stuff. Um, and we, we, we ended up going different ways, but in doing so, I reformulated the band as a trio again. Um, initially it was with myself, Nate Young, who plays keys. Mm-hmm. He's with AMFM. Fox Sack is his, um, music name. He's one of the greatest musicians that I'm, I'm that I have the honor of knowing. But I, I had him play keys and bass on the keyboard with us. And then Joe Shadows, my drummer who's been playing with us for years, um, was also playing, and then we had Liam Galliano, who I know you're friends with, mm-hmm. um, play join and play bass with us. So now the four of us played for maybe six months, and then Nate took a hiatus from playing live. So the last year we've been really focusing on the trio, and now um, that kind of brings us up to where we are now then. So it is. Here's a question that I have. Yeah. How do you make a full sound with three people? Uh, good, good question. Um, so, like, learning your place in the band is a big part of it, but the transition from, like, a four-piece to a three-piece was a little bit of a learn. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty used to being in a three-piece, so adding Nate, I kind of changed the way that I was approaching things to give him the space to do other things, right? Mm. So when it went back to the three-piece, and our first gig back was, like, a theater together, and it was like, oh, there's a lot of stuff missing now, you know? So we've reformulated it. And I think playing different lines, changing tunings, we play a full step down. Wow. So like we're a whole we're in D the whole night. And uh that really adds a lot of power and stuff to it. it Liam has like a really wide bass sound. I use like a wet dry thing, so it's like a pretty wide sound, you know? And um we just give it all we got pretty much. <laughs> That's that's the thing is like you just like we just play with a lot of intention and power and stuff. It's yeah, I must say, uh, knowing you uh, or hearing, ha- having heard of all your music, Thanks. and then knowing Liam Galliano, yeah. it's incredible what both of you can do on your own, Thanks. and then to add it together, Thanks. it's wild. Thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm really lucky to be playing with guys like Liam and Joe, because um, they're. Not only are they like the best people to have a working relationship with, but from from a musician standpoint, they're great people to bounce ideas off of, to collaborate with, to work with. Um, yes, they are. And you're, it's. I'm pretty thankful and lucky to be in the position to have you know people like that to go to and be teammates with. Yeah, Liam has been an increasingly more uh, friend of a sh- friend of the show for sure. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. So do you see yourself uh, expanding in the future? Do you see yourself doing other things in the future? So right now, Soul Miners Union, um, the last year we've really been busy. I mean, like, busier than I have ever been. And I thought, like, after the pandemic, like, things would slow down. It'd be weird, whatever. It's like we've opened more theater gigs, like, big shows than ever before. Um, so in the last year we've done Shamika Copeland, Mark Terry from Snarky Puppy, Eric Stackle we just opened for um Gary Hoey a bunch of other big names that are I didn't really think we'd be at that point again at this 
this time. So now we're basically playing the whole month of September. October is pretty booked. And we're trying to book um fall and spring tours and stuff and really get out as much as we can and play, you know. How does one go about booking and scheduling a tour? By pulling all your hair out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by my approach is like you're looking for a full-time job, all right? Mm. So it's like you submitting a resume to one job, like you have pretty low odds, you know? It's like so you have to be pretty aggressive with the way that you approach things. Like you have to like they're open, contact these places, make it happen like geographically um, and constantly be looking at people's schedules and contacting places. The more people that you contact, the more – chances you have of booking yourself somewhere you know um an agent helps but we live in a time where none of that stuff is 100 percent necessary mm-hmm. bigger venues you probably do need an agent festivals you do other things like that but i mean it's a, there's a timeline that kind of gets you to that point you know so what are some of the things they have to like the plan for do you pack with like food or do you do you get hotels or do you stay in a van or so like we've we did a run to West Virginia. We played a really amazing festival down there. It was called um Wayne Stock in West Virginia. On that we um were lucky enough to have a little cabin thing that we stayed in. But the previous tour that I've been on, I've been on two pretty big ones before the shutdown. Um one was in um Atlanta, Texas, New Orleans, Nashville, Memphis, and then back home. Um we stayed at like Airbnbs, like friends of people that we met and stuff like that. And then the second one in the south, um, we stayed in the back of a flatbed with like a thing over the top of it. So it was really? like a duo. Yeah, it was like in a truck in like the summer in South Carolina. So like we'd go to sleep. It's like 85 degrees. We wake up. It's like 110. <laughs> That's fun. We'd kill our days by like walking through Walmart for six hours and then going to Starbucks to plan our takeover of the world, basically. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I can't imagine being in the South and having to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like showering and Planet Fitness, like. Right, <laughs> yeah, or yeah. whatever trucker stops you can yeah. find or. Like really doing it, you know? That's why, like, I, um, there's bands that are out there that are like touring and their, their setups crazy you know they're tour buses and catering and all kinds of stuff they were doing the same thing though you know yeah they they got there for a reason yeah like you have to put your your hours into that kind of stuff for sure there's no way around it in tears yeah absolutely do you guys have any new music coming out yeah we're um we're working on writing a bunch of new stuff so we have um i think we've played three or three or four of the new songs i think it's uh, maybe it's four songs. Um, four of the new songs that we're releasing. Um, we're trying to do like an EP and have some PR type of stuff after that. And then hopefully a, a tour close to that timeline. How How is your uh, song, how is this EP different from the last one? Um, so, good question. I would say um, the last EP is probably has, it's a little bit more produced. On the, on the production side. So it's like the songwriting is in a similar vein as to my approach now, kind of. Um, but the production will be way different. I'm kind of seeing it more like a classic, you know, like REO Speedwagon, produ- like that awesome compression type of production. Like 
the classic rock albums have. I want it to be like that kind of thing, like a power rock album. In terms of content, is there anything different? Um, I'd assume so. Yeah, the content will look a lot different. Um, I think the whole vibe will be a little bit different after the next album comes out for sure. Do you plan on do you do you see that launching you into a different space into a different? Uh, it's possible. Yeah, definitely possible. I think like um, I would like to. Blues is like always a a big thing that I'm I'm inspired right. by, but I think that um, it's kind of a niche thing, and I I think that I've I've been gravitating to. I know Liam is also kind of gravitating to something that has a little bit of a heavier approach to it, maybe more like in the rock type of vein, um, and maybe even more progressive than than blues rock, you know. Um, yeah, I think maybe heavier and more rock, more like a little bit more marketable. Not just from that standpoint. I just I think that switching it up is is probably a good approach. To that. You guys want to say Chicago wasn't the same Chicago for a long time, right? Yeah, no, they're still no. a killer band. Yeah. Um, what was the songwriting process like? Because Kevin Koa has now moved away. Yeah, he lives in Maryland, so we we don't write together now. But so now our approach now, with it being a, a power trio again, is um. I write riffs or or I have a bunch of riffs that are either saved somewhere or I or I come up with something and show Liam and then we'll sit and mess with it. We're all mess with it for a while and then come up with something and we're usually we find a foundation of something that works for us that we're all into and then we start writing um usually I start writing some kind of lyric idea or Liam does that inspires one of us or vice versa something like that. Again, collaborative. Yes. Speaking of riffs, how do you create a riff? Um, I just play guitar all the you time. You just play guitar. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I feel like you, like you'll be like you know watching something on TV, like Sopranos or something. I'll like play the the song that I want Tony to be walking around to, mm. and like that'll be I'll come up with a riff there, you know, or like I'll write the theme song for like the dog walking around the house and like there's maybe a, yeah, it's like they're usually like pretty like random things. And it's cool too, because now I live with Liam. Um, he's constantly, he'll, he picks out stuff in my playing that I don't realize could be a riff. So like I'll play something. He's like, we that should be the transition from this part to this part. And I don't think about it like that, you know, because I'm just always like, mumbling stuff with my fingers in the fretboard. <laughs> it's, it's always good to live with another, with another musician because they will point stuff out that you will never, ever think yeah, of. Yeah, he's like, whoa, what is that? I'm like, what is what? <laughs> what, 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 what do you mean? I'm just messing around with my guitar. Yeah. So it's great to have people like that because, I mean, we'll probably end up writing even more songs now because I think that uh, for every positive attribute that a songwriter has, there is a negative somewhere. Sometimes the negative is uh, like, over analyzing your music mm. or or sitting with an idea for too long and then it just becomes stagnant and you can't think of anything to fit you know what i mean mm-hmm. like sometimes like we're coming up with an idea and it just being like all right we're using that as like a good approach to have so what do you think is the most memorable lesson you've learned in all of your career so far well um Single lesson or lessons? We can go with lessons. If- There's a couple of them. Um, 
all right from a, from so how about a lesson for different different categories sure, so let's do it. so from a musician standpoint i would say um being humble is a big really big one so um like nobody likes arrogant people that are standoffish you know no. and i've um I'm sure we've all had encounters with people like that. But playing young, I met um, a lot of older people that played, you know, and they were welcoming to like let me play their guitars and these amazing instruments and and loud big amps and stuff. And I had a really good support system teaching me this kind of stuff, you know. So I feel like musicians generally should kind of have the similar approach, you know, kind of having a level head and realizing there's people on all different levels, you know. And kind of paying it forward is a really valuable lesson that you could learn as a musician because somebody will do the same for you too. But you have to be willing and open to do the same for somebody else. Um, I'll piggyback off yeah. that. One of the best things you can do for yourself as a musician is being a kind person. Absolutely. It's going to pay better than any gig you could ever afford or you could ever get. Yeah, because fans come back to your show because you're nice to them, you know? Yeah. And even musicians are going to now recommend you. It's, it's yeah. going to stick in their mind. Yeah. It's just infinitely better for you yeah. if you are kind. Granted, everybody has their off days, and that's that's okay and understandable. But try your best to be kind. and Not fake, yeah. but yeah. be kind. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's a, a big thing that is in my mind recently is like be authentic mm. to people, you know? Um and then the another thing that I would say is like um, just the general life lesson, but a lot of it because music is um, patience. It really teaches <laughs> you patience because um, we send emails to for anything, you know? It's yeah. like, why doesn't my song have a ton of likes? Why doesn't this, 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 this? It's like... It's easy nowadays to compare yourself to everything because you have one of these, you know? So Instagram, you can compare yourself to every guitarist or whatever, but um, it's it's really best to, to try to not be like that, you know? Yeah, you can't pay attention to the numbers because social media, if you do pay attention to it, it's depressing. Yeah, it can really change your perspective of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah. So being... Cause Patience and consistency are are really the two biggest things that you need to have in music, you know? Especially if you want to gain a following. Yeah, for sure. Nothing happens overnight. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. You're, you're at 10K followers on uh, Facebook? Um, no, we're under that on Facebook. Oh, yeah. But even Facebook, like even getting, a, even getting 100 likes on a post, you know, it's, is a lot. We have a, yeah. we have a, we have a post on Facebook. Instagram right now that has like 800 likes on it. It's like 25,000 pl- plays or something like that. But that's like a big deal to us because yeah. it's like that's a thousand likes would be a really awesome goal, you know? But that takes patience. I mean, it took uh, like days of posting every single day and stuff and being really consistent. And it's discouraging sometimes, but perseverance is a, you know, sometimes why people break through to the other side, actually. Yeah, you be consistent. Don't let the algorithms or the Facebooks or the social medias get you down because it's not what you're there for. You keep in mind what you're there for. 
keep your passion about the music, yeah. not about the following. Yeah. I, I tend to even, I have to remind myself of that sometimes because I mean, everybody has a day where you're like, why am I doing this for you? It's like, <laughs> but then I'm going, I'm like, okay, well, I do have all of this stuff going on, but it's, it's easy to think of where you want to be and like not mm-hmm. appreciate where you are right now and realizing that like, oh, these things will pay off in time. And you can't overlook all the things that you're involved in at the time, you know? Especially as a musician where you might have weeks or something where you're not doing anything. Yeah. Uh, or it doesn't look like you're doing anything, right? You're just chilling at home waiting for your next gig. And that's yeah. where that's where it'll hit you. Like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. Yeah, because it's um if if any if any musician has the background of going to a job where you clock in and out mm-hmm. and you know that you're like, okay, well, the reward for me putting in time is I get a paycheck at the end, right? Well, you sit home as a musician and you could book places and do all kinds of other things, but you don't have that same kind of validation at the end of it, you know? Mm-hmm. It could be really discouraging. And, I mean, we I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure everybody at every, every level of pro- professional musician has probably experienced that at some point, you know? Do you have a, a job as well, or is this your full? No, I thing? play full time, so it's um. I feel like that all the time, <laughs> but I mean, like, um, but I'm again, like, I'm thankful to be playing as much as we are. But even with playing as much, I mean, there's more I want to do. We want to play more. We want to get out there more, and things seem like we're climbing up a huge mountain and we're barefoot and we have no tools to do it with. But we'll get there eventually, hopefully. You're right. Probably. And that's the, <laughs> that's the mindset you have to have, especially yeah. if you want to get there. You have to have that mindset of, yeah, we can do it. Yeah. It's going to take a while, but we'll get there. Yeah. And I'm taking this X, Y, Z, Z step. Yeah. Make sure you plan out your step. That's another thing people don't do. Oh, it'll just come. No, yeah. it won't. You have to. Being take- strategic. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and now being strategic is more important than ever because you can go out on the road and you could blow a ton of money mm-hmm. and not make anything and it's like just the expenses of, of living on the road is enough to, it's just gas yeah, <laughs> right yeah. gas money yeah so it's like being like really taking the time to plan things out um pays off you know i mean spontaneous being spontaneous is great and stuff yes. but being spontaneous while you're trying to have a career is a little bit risky yeah trying to live and being spontaneous yeah uh can work i'd rather have a plan b yeah how do you market because that's another big thing that a lot of musicians yeah struggle with yeah marketing is um marketing is kind of weird because uh i guess you have to figure out where you're marketing yourself what is your market you know it's like what what market do I want to be in, and then if you're using like we use all platforms right now, so we're on like YouTube, Spotify, Instagram, TikTok, um, and Facebook, right? But I don't know a thing about TikTok. I have no idea, and I don't do it though. Right. So like, um, I guess being being strategic and also kind of finding your own lane, putting out material that, or, you know, content that people 
um, that you would want to see. Yeah. Right. Not just like the same old clip over and over and over again. No. Um, but I mean, as far as marketing like an album and stuff like that, I think yeah, there's a lot of variables of marketing albums that are, that are pretty confusing sometimes. I think uh, trying to find where you are stylistically and then building a vibe around that kind of that when people look at something there it's like a motive to the songs that that you're playing or something it kind of gives them a reminder of like oh this makes sense it's like it's the whole package yeah I'll, i'll piggyback onto that or add on uh make sure whenever you're creating an album or a single you have an aesthetic for it right yeah yeah create that whatever that aesthetic for the album is make sure you're you're uh, your promos, stuff around that, your logos or the, your album cover, it reflects that nature. Find uh, p- and reach out to different artists too. That's another thing. Yeah. Uh, people like to get stuck with one artist and that's, you know, the one art style. Yeah. Reach out, uh, branch out, look for different uh, designers. And not only are you going to be networking for future or future work yeah. it's also going to give you more perspective and say oh i like i actually really like that kind of art style uh for this thing but i but i like this artist for that certain thing it's going to help you refine your own style and then you're going to think oh uh i need a branding logo or i need to update our logo whatever this would be great to have uh this artist do a, an addition of our logo yeah yeah, all these things I think are are related. It's like Soul Miners Union. I think there's like it, there's like an imaginatory thing like you could envision certain things that come to mind when like you like Soul Miners. But so like I um on stage like I wear like like a hat and like stuff. It's like it's got like a thing. It just has a vibe to it, you know. I feel like um that's another thing, style. Yeah. It's like they're all they're all related. I mean, people the the visual is half of the thing too, you know, more than half sometimes. Yeah, right. And um, I'm pretty adamant in that. I think that like it sh- it should look cool on stage. The art should complement the music. the The band as a whole should look like one. You know what I mean? It's it's got it's a whole thing. Yeah, that's something I learned recently. Is that if you're going to be a musician, you better dress for the occasion. Yeah. Uh, or else people aren't going to pay you the, the attention that you deserve no. or need. People on YouTube love when you wear shorts on stage, too. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. If people yeah. like watch looking at the pasty white legs yeah. Of, yeah. of anybody who's, who's performing. Yeah. Uh, no, be sure that you are dressed. And granted, I guess if you're like a Hawaiian, uh, that's that's acceptable then. Yeah, it's but, different. Yeah. But I mean, on, on stage opening... Uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different, yeah. yeah. Make sure you dress for the occasion. Have that dress shirt. Have that style that you, uh, and it's not it you because know, because you're doing so many different gigs. You don't have to buy all this expensive clothing. You just have yeah. to have one shirt, one pair of pants, yeah. And that can that can do for um you know a million gigs in different yeah. areas, right? Yeah, yeah. And I wear this shirt all the time on, on this show because first off, it's consistency. Second off, it's it's you're creating your own brand, yeah. right? Yeah. I look like this all the time. I know that guy. People recognize me because of the shirt. It's a Guy Fieri, right? The yeah, flame shirt. The flame, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's it's uh, Margaret Thatcher's purse, you know, yeah. like it's, you know stuff that yeah. 
instantly iconic, instantly yeah. recognizable. Yep. Make sure you find that for you. And that is a long process. Yeah, it takes that sometimes can take more time than finding your it's like finding your own sound on your instrument, you know? Yeah. Um which I, I'm like obsessed with finding tones and stuff. Um I it really I go down this like long hole of like pedals and all kinds of stuff. So it's like, I feel like stylistically it's the same thing. You know, you gotta really like go down and take the time to figure out what looks right for the band, what fits the songs that you're trying like stylistically and you know sonically. An experiment. The whole thing, yeah. So don't be ever afraid to experiment. No. We have one of your songs. Oh, like cool! Yeah. We have. Uh, where do we go? Tell me about this one. Uh. Where will we go? Was um written in twenty twenty nineteen. So at the at the time of going to California to write that album, we were in L.A. writing it, Kevin and I, um, and our our good friends. I'm sure they're probably listening right now. Tosh and Phil Kornblatt, um, uh, booked this this uh, studio with Josh Smith. So we went out and had this collection of songs. And at the time, I was writing where will we go which i was in a long relationship that was pretty um eventful <laughs> there is a it was it was eventful and uh yeah i wasn't sure where i wanted to go with my professional career as far as music because we were gaining a lot of momentum and we wanted to travel we had tours that we were booking and stuff so i felt and he he was in a similar position because he was going through a breakup at the same time. Um, we both didn't know if we wanted to stay in Harrisburg. If we wanted to leave. We were both like kind of not sure what we wanted to do with these chicks that we were dating. So like that song, the second night that we were in L.A., um, the chick that I was with, her and I broke up. Mm. Like the second night into the in recording, and I'm in L.A. Right, so I f- we finished writing. Uh, that song, and that's where where we go came from. A breakup, not knowing what direction I was coming from, sitting in Los Angeles, awake all night because the time zones are different. Right, and all sorts of discombobulation going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where we are. This is where we go by the Soul Miners Union. Too late, you'll find 
Where do we go from uh, from here? That's that's from the Soul Miners Union. Yep. We have another one of your songs, "End of Time." So, "End of Time." Um, similar vein to where we, again, like two dudes in California, full of confusion and heartbreak, and and uh, in and out too. So there's there's uh, right, <laughs> there's, <laughs> yeah, like throw that in there. You have a pretty emotional album. <laughs> So, question: Did you go to California originally to write this album, or yeah. were you just there? This all this stuff happened, and you, it completely changed your plans. Yeah. So the so the initial the plan was to go to L.A. to record what would be our first album. Um, we had, I think, like all but three, two or three songs finalized, like totally done structures, basically. Um, and then we finished two or three while we were there. These two are both ones that I finished lyrically in the arrangements of while I was there. Mm. Um, but end of time again, 
similar vein of where we go. Not really sure what direction I was going in. Feeling like it was the end of the the chapter I was in at the time, you know. Um, and knowing that, uh, well, there's a there's a line in it that says, um, "I'll be waiting for you till the end of time," which kind of is like a reminder that if if you leave the places that your comfort that you know where your comfort lies, those things are still there when you leave. But it's having the reassurance in your own mind because people could tell you that things will be there. But you have to actually figure that out for yourself, though, you know, right. to convince yourself of that. So you'll be waiting there till the end of the time because it shows, like, if you go back, those things are there. But you actually have to take the risk to leave, though, to find another opportunity or some wholeness within yourself, which isn't found at your home sometimes if no. you feel broken there at the time, you know. Um so that's probably the best way I could explain that song. This is End of Time by the Soul Miners Union. I could show you things you wouldn't forget. Take you to the edge of regret I'll be waiting for you patient on the other side Intend to take everything that you have left Bend this reality to a beautiful mess I'll be waiting for you patient on the other side I'll be waiting for you patient till the end of Yeah. 
And that was End of Time by the Soul Miners Union. Yeah, man. Ben, where can people find you? So we are on, uh, if you want to check out what our schedule is, we are on soulminersunion.com. We have our tour schedule out there. We have links for media and all of our, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and all that kind of stuff is all in there. And if you want to keep going with us, you can follow us at The Story, Corey Rosen. Search that up anywhere. We're getting our website together soon, finally. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's important. Uh, but if you want to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just search up The Story, Corey Rosen. Do it there. If you want to support us, like, comment, subscribe, and share. For the radio, we're going to get back to the music, but we're going to continue here on Facebook Live. With all that said, those on the radio. See you guys later. See you guys. <clears throat> All right. So, you have been the opening act for many, many people. What does it mean to be an opening act? How do you? How does that work? All right. So, yeah, we've we've been um, Soul Miners recently has been an, an opener for a bunch of people, and I've I've been like my whole life I've been opening for people. Um, it's a different type of gig for sure, definitely, mm. um, because um, you're the one that is usually left out of the commu- out of the communication. So you get up, you don't know what you're doing. Um, you can't find the contact of the venue. <laughs> it's like, but usually it's like it's pretty quick though. So like you meet the people that you're opening for, which I've I've met a lot of these people, and they're really awesome people um but the sets are usually half hour maybe an hour at some places usually it's like an hour to 45 minutes um you play your songs usually we try to do as much original stuff as we can at those um i'd imagine so (laughs) yeah and the venues are great that a lot of these double bills are at they're at like um places like sellersville theater i've done one at carroll art center uh xl live um anglewood couple other places um so it's it's a different process because you you are rushing there to set up and stuff you got to rush to get off stage and like you're hoping that you're not forgetting all your stuff on stage um the mix sometimes can be uh a little fast the process can be a little fast but i mean those are the gigs that you want though you know you want the gigs that are uh a sunday night three or four hours away and you're playing to like five or six hundred people and it's it's full you know um with the goal to be the one that's you know the headliner at some point right but i mean there's some really amazing opportunities that come out of being an opener which is why it's it's great to be an opener talk about some of those opportunities um you you know you have connections as far as the venue you meet the venue um you become friends of the venue if especially if they're really into that act and the act likes, you know, like we played um Phantom Power. Uh, we opened for Shamika Copeland there, who's Shamika's huge. And the the show, um, the turnout was not what they were completely expecting because of where it was right after the pandemic. Right. But the draw that we had and the response from the crowd was like really amazing. So now Liam and I have gone back there. And we just hang out like Shannon and Greg both know us now. And it's really awesome because you build a relationship with these people. Um, Cause you know, they're, they're happy that the main guy they hired there is happy, you know? Mm-hmm. So we really um, 
try to do the best that we possibly can at these shows and we set up a nice merch thing and like you know get to meet people so it's it's really cool because you're meeting fans that pay to see music you know yeah and that's where you're gonna get your diehard followers from definitely and a lot of these people uh this happens a lot the um reoccurring comment is this is why you see the opening band like we weren't expecting this this is why you see the opening band it's like most of these bands that you're opening for, they were the opening band at some point, some you know? For somebody else. Yeah, right. so it's, again, um, you got to put the work in, but if you do to put the work in with a bunch of opening spots, it really could pay off because sometimes they pick you up for a run, you know? Yeah, that's, that's another thing, true, yeah. If you're an opening act, the, whoever is the headliner might pick you up for the next tour. Yeah, yep. Because you did so well or you fit, yep. fit the bill so yep. so well. Yep. What is it like to meet some of these incredible musicians, uh, headlining acts? Um, it's been really pretty cool for me because um, a lot of these guys that I'm friends with now uh, are like my biggest influences in playing. Uh, so I didn't get to open for these three people that I'll mention, but they're, I've, I've got to meet them through playing and stuff. Um, First being Josh Smith, uh, who produced my album. And Josh is like, not only is he one of the most amazing players that you'll see, his knowledge of jazz and theory and reading and writing and production, the whole thing, he's like the ultimate, like, I want to be like that kind of player, you know? Um, and then to like see what kind of person he was like, he's like just the coolest guy in the world. And then um, another one is Chris Kane. He's like one of my biggest influences. Chris is just an amazing player. And I got to meet him through um, Lancaster Roots and Blues. I was backstage with the artist thing and I was hanging out. And it's just crazy because like I, when I realized it's like, well, I'm here because like music and playing and stuff. And I'm surrounded by people that I enjoy watching and playing, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's pretty cool. And then the last one who I have not opened for, but I would love to at some point, is Joe Bonamassa. Um, I became friends with him through a really weird way of it happening, actually. I just was – I had a couple mutual friends with him, and he's unlike – like, I'm a pretty little dude. He's, like, a million followers. Right. Like, he is – he's the biggest guy in the in the blues thing right now. Um so I sent him a random message about like guitar stuff because I love old guitars and he's a huge collector collector of them, um, and he responded to me, and then messaged me right. So we're like going back and forth talking for like a couple months back and forth, and I told him the people that I know, and I didn't really know how to gauge it, but I threw it out there. I was like, hey man, I'm gonna be in L.A. recording. Uh, will you happen to be there? And he was like, yeah, I'm actually getting off tour like three days before. If you want to come by my house, you could come by oh my gosh. and check out the collection of stuff, right? And he has like, so I don't know if you know anything about like rare, super rare guitars, but he has like the rarest of the rare and hundreds of them, right? Like his collection is like 600 guitars, like 500 amps, like 
the rarest of them though. Not like guitar center amps. He's like got Leo's like prototypes, Leo Fender prototypes, custom color Fenders, Gibsons, one-off things like just piled up everywhere, right? And I know what these things are, and I know the <laughs> value of these things, right? And he's got them all over the floor on my feet and stuff. Um, and I've since hung out with him at, he opened, uh, he played the Hershey Theater, and I was there with him backstage hanging out before that show, and then he played Santander Arena, and I was at that show with him too. Um, but he's like one of the coolest guys in the world, though. It's insane how some of these bigger musicians take chances on people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I'm, it's kind of crazy because I have, again, some of my mutual friends now know him and I don't know how that worked out. I don't know. I have his phone number and stuff. I could hit him up whenever. Right. It, and it's surreal to me. It's really strange. It's it's crazy because I'm, I'm kind of dealing with the same process as well as I'm, I'm meeting more and more people, meeting people that uh, that. I believe I had no right or business to ever meet in my yeah. life, right? Yeah. Um, but it's there, and they're willing, and they invite you to your to their house, which is yeah, yeah. beyond me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the people that you've never met in person ever. Yeah. Right. He's like, come by the house. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? You, what? <laughs> yeah. And now it's like it's surreal, but in some ways, I'm just like, well, it makes sense. I mean, like you. I've been doing it for a long time and put the work in right. it. So it's like, I think these things, the universe has a way of, of presenting itself to you in little reminders. Like you're on the right path, you know? Yeah. Right. If, if you're meeting those kind of people and you think you haven't made it, there is yeah. a little validation there. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, validation is, like having it's good to be validated on some things by the universe, but having an expectation that things will work out exactly how they are in your mind can set you up for disappointment sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I have uh, no expectations of how those friendships may turn out, but I'm I'm extremely honored to be friends with them though. Right. Yeah, and and here's the thing. If if you weren't there like as a person, you wouldn't even be talking to these people. That's right? true, yeah. So it's a, it's a validation in of itself that Joe re even responded to you, even yeah, yeah. like allowed you to do that. Because yeah. if you weren't meant to be there, you would not be there. That's true, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Definitely. Um, what do you think is some of the biggest mistakes that you think you have made or you've seen other people in the industry make and how can we curb that for for the future? Hmm. Well, a, a big mistake is just jumping in a van and just play, just trying to make it work. I, I think there should be some strategic approach to um, – yeah, there should be some strategic planning to that kind of stuff, especially when uh, you're not sure – you know, when you're just getting off the ground, it's – it's awesome to like go out there and play to everything, but there's a big expense involved in that too, you know? So like, um, learning how to budget is important. Yeah. Budgeting, strategic planning, asking questions and asking people for help, honestly, because I mean, all these bands that we see that are on big levels have teams. Of yeah. People. It's not just them. It, it takes a village to move, a, move a band. Yeah, for sure. it does. And, um, asking people to share stuff and if they want to help with things or whatever, you know I mean? 
all those things because it's overwhelming and being overwhelmed and discouraged is why you know inspiration gets stifled it's why people don't want to play music for a career um and and here's here's the biggest part of the advice if you're a musician and a, like a creative let that be your job yeah, yeah. find other people to do the business find Definitely. other people to do the marketing if you have both good that's yeah. great that's awesome but if you got to realize where your talents fall short you got to yeah. realize where you end and someone else yeah. has to begin i am not i'm i'm pretty good at the instagram thing for my own thing but it's like my girlfriend handles the band stuff right now right and she's great at doing it so it's like we have that it's like liam's girlfriend helps out a little bit in the tiktok and stuff it's like because they're good at doing that stuff you know yeah liam and i are not good at doing that stuff you know so it's like we'll make the content and stuff um but we're just not it's like that's not my thing is the hashtags you know yeah tell us what to do we'll let you do the rest yeah and that's and that's that's another thing uh, that I'm going through right now because I don't know what I'm doing with with marketing and all this. I'm yeah. learning. It's it's okay to learn tidbits, yeah. right? Uh, because if you go in blind to anything, you're it's not a good idea, uh, especially when it comes like to business and the market. Yeah. But having somebody that you trust that says, "Hey, I'd be willing to do this for uh for you guys, whether it be paid paid or not, ha- get them on board in some way or somehow." Yeah. Because those those kind of friends and those kind of people, it's, it's going to make your life way easier. It's going it, because now you don't have to necessarily think about it so much. You have less on your plate. Yeah. You can focus more on your music while you know that okay, the marketing is is being taken care of to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, that's not to say you don't lose track of it or don't lose like oversight over it. Yeah. But have those people in your life that know okay, that person's a good marketer. I'm gonna trust them to have this because I can't do it. I just, I can't do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, musicians can be um, can be one track sometimes, and they can be too controlling over themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah and uh, yeah, I don't really know many pl- people that are amazing at playing that are also great out with the social media and the. And they're doing all the press, and they're booking mm-hmm. all their shows. Like, I want to meet that guy. See, <laughs> people think I have it all together, but I do not. If you look behind the scenes, I could tell you X, Y, Z reasons why. Yeah, yeah. This is hard. Yeah. <laughs> and we were just talking about it today. Uh, how hard it is just to generate content because you got another another uh, good thing is to be recording yourself all the time for yeah. sure. Yeah. Because. How are you gonna have a wealth of uh, content to promote if you don't record yourself? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's um, it's sometimes kind of weird knowing that you're being filmed all the time. Like I have um, like I mentioned her before, Natasha Cornblatt films. She's like our videographer, basically. She films like every one of our shows, but with that, I have like a very professional camera like close up on my hands the whole time and like i feel like um i used to think about it a whole bunch you know and now it's like it's that's content thousands of people see those videos it's like um and even more like right now we were talking before um 
our Instagram, one of them has like 25,000 plays on it. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's weird knowing I'm being filmed, but it's, it's great to know that you have material that you can do that kind of stuff with, you know? And also, you can look back at that material and critique yourself. Yeah, too. you learn a lot. Yeah, too. we listen back to mixes all the time because of stuff I got. Um, uh, vocal approaches, mixes, where what instruments we're using at the time. Um, it, it's good to be able to go back to reference that kind of stuff. If anything, it's reference material to become a better musician, you know? Absolutely. And you should, even though if you might hate it to all everything, mm -hmm. Because that, that, is, that is a thing. You have to get used to hearing yourself and watching yourself play yeah. because that's the only way you're going to grow. And granted, you should look back at some stuff and be like, oh my gosh, what was I doing? Yeah, every, and I think everybody has that moment at some point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what is one thing that you know now that you knew that you wish you had known when you first started? Um. One thing that I wish I knew when I was when I was starting, um, that playing to ten thousand people takes playing ten thousand gigs to one person, and then to nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine people, and then to ten thousand people. So, right. No, it's just that things take a a lot of friggin' time, and that you need to. Um. Be patient with stuff, like I said before. And it's like it's like the process with learning the instrument. I mean, from learning how to play one note, that process takes time, you know? So it's like gaining a following takes time. So, I mean, nothing happens right away. But when you're little, when you're, like, in your room, you could see yourself playing, like, a sea of people. But you're not expecting the frustration that comes along with that build, though. Yeah, you know? it's investing in your future. Yeah, for sure. And and in the culture of instant gratification, yeah, it's it's a hard, hard thing to do. Investing in your future is what your job is as a musician. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned playing for just one person. When those gigs happen, you can't get discouraged. You can't say, "Oh, whatever." It's uh, you have to play. You still have to play as hard hard as you would play for a thousand people because yeah. you're gonna make that one person really yeah. enjoy your music. Like um, like the, I mean, some of my my favorite players that are in different positions and stuff are like a hundred people tell another hundred tell another hundred. But I mean, that's it's pretty evident when you are consistent in anything that you're doing. You know, it's like online. If you're consistent, you see the numbers go up. If you're consistent, you book more if you're play you have more songs if you you know what i mean it's like all these things go hand in hand it's like being consistently active in what you're doing more opportunities present themselves and you never know who's watching That's yeah thing. definitely you never know who's watching yeah what is one of the best pieces of advice anyone has ever given you hmm Best piece of advice. Probably the pay it forward thing. Mm. Which um, my uncle taught me about a, a long time ago. And, and then um, two things. They're kind of similar, actually. So it's one, following this road less traveled thing. 
and two, the pay it forward thing. And they're almost like one thing because if you're following the road less traveled, like you're going to meet people on there that may guide you in some direction, you know? And that's the pay it forward thing. I was going to say, if you're doing the road less traveled, you're going to meet people who are just beginning or are, you're going to, you're going to be encountering people who, you know, the other musicians would just pass over. Yeah. Right. And that's your pay it forward. Yeah. And I think that, like that, that's so valuable to learn in life too. Absolutely, it was just outside of music too. Yes, yeah. learn how to, you know, go the path unfollowed. You kind of find your lane, and like yeah. at the same time, it's like yeah, pay those lessons far to people because you'll you'll be surprised the things that people have to tell you and show you. It's you might save some time there. Yeah, you're gonna save so much yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one last question. Yeah. What is one of the funniest or worst things that ever happened to you on a gig? Uh, Saturday. Oh, night. Saturday? Okay. Saturday night. My rig didn't work. I broke a string. The 60-year-old tele I was playing wasn't working. Then it worked. Then the amp had a, then the rig had another problem. That was the, probably your worst yeah, thing ever? Yeah, it's like two or three years I've had no problems. And it's like, I thought I had like every gear problem Saturday. So how did how did you deal with that? Did you just the show goes on or I have um like a working he's not even a guitar tech he's just like one of my friends that like he's Phil actually so Phil is um I I bring nice guitars with me to shows and he is like my guitar security sort of <laughs> so the one guitar like was having issues I grabbed another one broke a string on that one he grabbed the other one and it was fine at that point. So just knowing it's it happens. I would have been really in a bad position if I didn't have another guitar. Though. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> say uh, the third one better not break or yeah, yeah, I'm out yeah. of luck. That's another good uh, thing. Bring multiple guitars. Yeah, yeah, and cool. strings. Bring a bunch of strings. Absolutely, because if one string breaks, you don't have a set break. You got to wait till your set break at least. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. And restringing is a whole nightmare in of itself. Yeah. Yeah, imagine like playing a gig in like the Midwest and you break a string and the local music store is like 200 miles away. Right. That, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's another thing people don't think about. Yeah. If, if you're going toward and you're, you're going to go to these places that the next neighbor is, yeah, is not going to have. You know? And they're so far away, yeah. right? You're stranded. It's, it surprises me how far in the middle of nowhere you can go Yeah, oh, it's yeah. in the U.S. It's yeah. incredible. Yep. And realize that you have no adapters, no speaker cables, and you forgot your strings. <laughs> right. Or, or, or I don't have the extension cable yeah. because this outlet is like yeah. 500 miles away yeah. from, from here. Yeah. This has been a lot of fun, man. Yeah, man. Really appreciate it. Check out Ben and all of his projects. Soulminersunion.com. Ben Brandt, Soul Miners Union on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and uh, YouTube. And Spotify. Yeah, and Spotify. With all that said, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Please follow us, like, subscribe, share if you like the show. Tomorrow we have on two guests, actually. We we have on Brandon Valentine of the Central Pennsylvania Hall Music Hall of Fame. Nice. We have Andrew Pauls later on that night. This we also have Mike Bitts coming on Wednesday. We have Chris Keeney, a returning guest. Uh, he's gonna bring a really ancient instrument called the oud which is an old churchy, uh, like, 
old, really, really old guitar. Nice. Put it that way. Nice. And Friday, we have Logan Kurtek from Right Coast Recording, amazing saxophone player. Cool. And this Saturday, we have Luther and Barb, and Barb runs her own uh, jewelry shop where she takes old... Uh, old maybe significant instruments and she turns them into furniture jewelry etc so i'm really excited how how she got into that business because that sounds like really really fun yeah uh if you want to support us please be sure to like rate rate us review us that is how we get more people or this show out to more people more new people Uh, i would really appreciate it we also have merchandise if you want to buy we have stickers and we have shirts and hoodies with the first 50 guests on the back but with all that said I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See you guys later. Yep. Bye.